0: Hello, and after a pause in podcasting, we're back the Middlemen podcast revamped as both myself, Nero Abrahams, and the Welsh wizard himself, Max Taylor, bringing you up to date with the latest in sport from our perspective as young journalists with big dreams. Um, so why has it been so long? Well, we've both had very busy summers, Max covering the Commonwealth Games and for me, a tour of America that's really changed my perspective on sport and, and life in general. Uh, Max, I've missed that Welsh accent of yours, so kick us off. Uh, how were the Commonwealth Games?
1: It's returned and it's, it's not about to go anywhere anytime soon. Uh, it's, it's back for the next half hour for every week for the foreseeable future. Um, yeah, mate, so good to hear about, hear about your summer and, and have the catch up earlier. Um, you know, just doing bucket lists. Bucket list stuff, that is. Bucket list material uh, tour in America, but the Commonwealth Games for myself, uh, brilliant time, literally. Bucket list stuff for me as well, for, in, in terms of a journalist perspective, you know, catching up with uh, a couple of lads that I used to train with as well, you know, that have now become medalists in that competition and, you know, we were talking about just maturing and you know, you kind of realise that at, at that point because last time I, I saw these two boys, we were both you know, we both had the same dreams of both applying ourselves for it and over time mine has changed but I was still, I still stuck with boxing just in a, in an academic, um, in an academic way, you know, so, uh, it was quite, it was like almost a full circle moment just in a different way, you know, like I didn't see these guys in the finals because I was competing, I saw them on the other side of the mix zone but to still be involved and, and to still see them and to see the succeed, uh, you know, highlight, highlight of my time there, um, I was a nervous wreck in the in the tribune watching them fight, but um, Team Wales did fantastically. It was an absolute honour to to report on them and report on uh, all the other nations. there. That's not just in boxing as well. I covered a bit of a uh, bit of weightlifting and badminton in the in the early stages of the games. Um, bit of fun, you know. It's different. Obviously, I went there with the mindset that I just want to do this one sport, but it's always good to be. Uh, more than one dimensional and and that's what I did with my sport coverage so, so yeah honestly a, a very memorable time mate I will remember it uh, until my dying days.
0: I bet you will I mean I always find when you go to any stadia or tournament when you know someone there especially when you know someone competing or managing if it's football it makes it so much easier to go and to feel more comfortable as well I feel like you feel more as journalists comfortable around the athletes obviously when you know them um, who were they Who who were the boxers who were they? Uh,
1: so it's Johan and Garen Croft, um, the Croft twins from Team Wales. Uh, they've had a hell of a year this year, um, you know, a career defining one for them. They got signed up, uh, they got the call up to Team GB earlier this year. They went into the uh, European Championships, both uh, just just come shy of uh, gold there. I think it was, I think Johan got silver and Garen got bronze. And then um, later, then at the Commonwealth Games, uh, Yoan landed a gold medal and uh, Garen got a bronze. So yeah, they fight in the what are their divisions now? Welterweight. Yoan's a welterweight okay. and uh, Garen's a light weight. So they they are literally twins in, in every aspect, even their weight. But obviously, you know, they not they didn't want to come in each other's bracket every time soon and have to uh, have to fight the other one for a medal. I think. They, they separated there, but um, the pair of, them, pair of them got medals. And um, that was just a, a summary of uh, the, the Team Wales performance in the boxing. I think they got semi-finalists. Only. I'm not correct of that stat, but they had you know a, a record-breaking uh, performance in those games. So fair play to them. Um, absolute congratulations. They're, the talent that is coming out of that pool right now is, uh, is fantastic. So, yeah, shout out to them. And... Uh, yeah, it, I, I know what you're saying about how how it kind of eases you. But to be honest, because I hadn't seen either of the lads in six years, right? Six long, a long time. years. Um, I was, yeah, yeah. Like, we have obviously, you know, we've become men in, in that time. Yeah. Um, so I was actually more nervous than I was, than I was reassured. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't even think. Like, because these are busy boys. Do you know what I mean? They've got yeah. a lot of people a lot of journalists uh, through their careers, so I was like, they might not even remember me here. Like, I might, you know, I grew up Goatee and that But time. they did? Did, did they? Different. Yeah, straight away, straight away, they said hi, Max. So I was like, Okay, that's all my, that's all my apprehension over. He's
0: <laughs> is that, is that memorable that even six years later with a Goatee, you don't forget <laughs> Max Taylor. Uh, but I know, I know what it's like, I know what you mean when you go to a tournament and uh, there are people there who you, who you just know, you just click with, and it really makes it so special. And yeah, you do meet incredible people at these these tournaments. Uh, covering the boxing with you for Team GB, I remember just sitting next to journalists who I'd heard growing up, Mike Costello, uh, doing football commentary, and, and sitting next to Guy Mowbray in a press box or John Murray. And these are the guys you listen to and you grow up listening to or watching on TV. And all of a sudden, you're working alongside. them I know you had the same with Buncy and a few others there who, who else did you meet who was the best person you met
1: um oh, best person I think that's that is a tough one uh because there was there was so much so many ex-pro boxers um and as you said you mentioned you know really influential um big-time journalists there uh, especially in the boxing game I, I had Buncey behind me um Costello wasn't there or from what I seen he wasn't there when I was there but I had um Barry Jones to the left of me as well, doing his commentary as he used to do a lot of on BT. Um, and I think he's a great commentator, not just not just with the Welsh bias here, but um, yeah, I, I think he's great on the mic. Very, uh, very neutral down the line, which mm. is more rare than you would imagine uh, in boxing. In boxing, uh, yeah. But in
0: bo- everyone has an opinion in boxing.
1: Exactly. And, and um, you know, some some pundits can come on and because they're they've been like employed by the broadcaster who's broadcasting the home show some pundits like to swing towards um the home fighter in a 50 50 fight barry just does not he doesn't take to that you know um so i know he would have been calling it as he's seen it and having no favor for the home nations uh, even i mean team Wales is a, is a bit hard for him isn't it but um I think I think everybody who was tuning in there would have understood that, but um yeah, I had him to the left of me, and then I had the dynamic duo of uh, Ron McIntosh and Richie Woodall, um who were next to Buncy and the the row above me, so I was just looking around and you know, as a boxing journalist and a fan and just seeing all these all these big names, but it's tough as well because I never really know how to approach these guys, and like obviously I do, but that's in hard. the hard context of they are there to do a job yeah it's
0: it's hard it's hard to judge when when you approach someone like Steve Bunce or whoever it is sitting on that row above you and you'll be you'll be on that row one day Max and I I think we both will be eventually and, and it's hard to judge when when you approach someone and people ask me this a lot in a press box do you go up to I used to work a lot with Chris Kamara during lockdown and COVID and when I covered Barnsley and Sheffield Wednesday and he that was his patch as well and people always used to say to me, do you speak to him? And you do, and you don't, you speak to them in passing. Like oddly enough, I probably had the best conversations with Chris Kamara, just going to the loo. And, and he was standing next to me and you have a chat with him, washing your hands or on your way in and way out and, and whatever. And that, that's when you speak to people most, I find because otherwise you're working, they're working but in the press box last night, I was at Hillsborough and you, you catch up with people while you, you, you're stuffing your face with a free pie. So that's when you do it. Um, but I know, I know completely what you mean in terms of meeting these amazing people. Um, and of the one question I have for you is: What's the best story from from covering the Commonwealth Games? What? Yeah, give us a story from behind the scenes or something that happened. What's What's the most memorable moment from covering the games?
1: Oh, um, it's hard. It's hard because I kind of had like, kind of had to two kind of lives um during the games like obviously being there and um doing my work for it and reporting there and then also coming back to the hotel seeing um you know all of our course mates all of our old course mates now yeah. um who we, uh, we were in the hotel with so you know we had some we had some funny times there um we had this 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 drunk woman uh come up to <laughs> us cuz we, cuz we're staying at like this hotel um, which was also like a a local pub as well and um she has the most the most uh like birmingham accent i think we were in stetchford at the time Um, and she was like yeah she had the most birmingham accent and we were with one northern irish um and for some reason like i don't know how much alcohol she must have had but she just come up to the table claiming she was northern irish (laughs) All she had to do was speak for us to understand that she wasn't, but she was claiming it and it like is one of those in it. You get um just like a, a middle-aged person roll up to your table absolutely like trolley and they just drove on forever about random waffles. It's just one of those, in it you kind of yeah, you keep them entertained. Um and yeah, we had a good laugh there. And uh I think she told us I can't even remember, but like I've got a video on my phone and I'm just like, acting overly surprised and it's really encouraging her to carry on with the story, but I did not know what she was going on about. But
0: well, i tell you what, send me that video and I'll, I'll put it on the end of the podcast. I'm right at the end of the podcast. If you're listening now, wait yeah. till the end. <laughs> wait till the end and we'll get that video uh, on the end of the poddy. And I, th- I think that's just what happens when you, I think when you're, when you're in Brum, Max, I think that's just what you can expect. Um, but uh, look, I'm, I'm really proud of you, mate. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 I'm seriously so proud of you. I think what you've done is incredible and with Cardiff Met as well. And you you do your stuff there and like you're a media intern and I mean you're at the Welsh Sports Hall of Fames last night. It's just I I honestly real what you're doing. So yeah, I think you should be you should be really proud of yourself, mate.
1: Thank you, brother. Thank you. Um you know not to not to get all, all sloppy on our first episode back, but I I told I tell everybody this who interact with when you know when we when we're talking about our podcast or just talking about uh you in general is like i wouldn't be able to to maintain uh this this ambition and and what i do without you because you are have always just been a, a top tier influence for me isn't it like with what you were doing from day one of meeting you bro fully day one of meeting you i just i just knew the energy you know you know you know when someone has is like on on the same path as you and, and has the same mindset as you and yeah. wants that that same end goal, and then when when the personalities click as well, mate, it's just do you know what I mean? How can you love not it. do a podcast with them?
0: I love it. I love it. And then we, <laughs> I, I love but, I love a podcast. And Dan, words, massive massive love for you. And when you when you're down in Boreham Wood, like this, this is this is, what you're listening to here is is a catch up as well. Like Max and I haven't caught up with each other properly in such a long time. So li- listen. If anyone fancies a pint down at Boramwood, come come join Max and I, and uh, we'll we'll get you on on the house. Um, come
1: to the Wellington,
0: the Wellington. That's our local, and we'll sort Wellington. it out. But yeah, you're listening. You're listening that's to <laughs> the next big thing in boxing here. Uh, and speaking of boxing, uh, let's get into it. And I think Canelo Alvarez is the only place to start. So we'll look back at the weekend before we look forward to to next weekend and. Canelo dominated a a very faded Gennady Golovkin, I think to cap off the trilogy. Um, And that was, that was the guardians headline. Canelo Alvarez dominates faded Gennady Golovkin to cap trilogy um, uh, is what they made their headline. And I think it's true. A unanimous points decision for Alvarez who defended his WBC, WBA, WBO and IBF titles at 168 pounds and the world super middleweight champion, a, a comprehensive winner hints of, Joshua Klitschko, I thought as well, you know, a once great world champion uh, fighting a younger, more hungry warrior, 40 years old, when really, you, you know, people praised Joshua at the time and there was always that elephant in the room. Well, yeah, but he's fighting Klitschko. Who's just about to retire right at the end of his career. And it is sort of felt similar. Um, I think from the first bell, uh, aside from I think it was rounds nine and 10 when Alvarez had Canelo on the ropes in it at one point, Um Aside, aside from those couple of rounds when he got back into the fight, I heard Steve Bunt say it on the radio that Golovkin just just looked like he, he wanted each round to slip away. And he was unable to impose himself, um, especially in the first seven. So th- that was the fight. I think most could predict it. Uh, Canelo, like I said, dragged into it a, a little bit. But ultimately, his power just saw him through. Um, before we talk about the scorecards, because I know you and I know you'll be desperate to touch on them what did you make of the fight in general max and, and surely now my view is that uh, Golovkin needs to retire
1: um yeah so I think I don't want to say predictable I don't want to say the fight was predictable because it even defied my expectations in terms of every fight that I've seen Canelo have at super middleweight he started off slowly he's let the the other person kind of come in on the scorecards in early rounds, and he stepped them up in the, in the latter. You know, you see that from any time he's campaigned heavier than middleweight, uh, his, his stoppages and his knockouts, if they haven't been points, and they've been round 11s, uh, round 12s. So I thought that we could see more of that and maybe a sharper start from Golovkin. And as, you know, as the uh, older man with maybe not as much of, you know, we know how much of a beast Golovkin is.
0: Yeah.
1: But at 40 years old, he's not going to have much of as much of an engine as uh, Canelo does. So I thought he was going to kind of start off and and start off more strong and and uh, kind of push his luck in the earlier rounds, but instead, yeah, I just think I don't know if he if he struggled adjusting. I'm really I'm really not sure what it was. You know, you you can't say that he was just trying to download the he's already been in there for a refresher. He he knew exactly what Canelo was going to bring, but it's just a matter of knowing that and actually being able to to say he's in a state but you know in the state that he is in in his condition right now is that just um
0: is that is that just natural is that just nature i mean age is cruel anyway let alone in professional sport and especially in boxing you never lose you never lose the skill and ability but you you lose the instinctive edge you lose your reaction time and i think that that's what age is a bit of boxing especially
1: for the expectations I normally have as of a forty-year-old boxer, Golovkin still exceeds that, um, and you know I'm going to explain that later when we talk about his uh, uh, potential retirement. Um, but I think I think he he's, he still looked sharp when he actually when he actually came along, um, and he actually you know stuck it to Canelo. But we saw in the earlier rounds that he was given away. Normally he would pull the trigger in certain instances. He looked too cautious. He looked too tentative, he was giving Canelo too much respect didn't want to throw the right hand because he was a bit worried the left hand might come over the top the last two fights he, he wasn't bothered about that so I think we just saw a bit more hesitation from Golovkin in there and that you know I think that probably is age that has done that but it might have just been you know
0: there's a lot Do you of think it was the occasion? Be... Do you think the third fight, yeah, the third yeah. of the trilogy?
1: Maybe um, you know he's, he's a fearless boxer but mm. we didn't see that level of fearlessness that we normally do from him so they thought you know we were just talking about uh how I haven't seen the Croft wins in six years you know it's like four years is is a long long time um so Canelo has has reached his peak in that time um I'm not sure if he's if he's in his peak now because it wasn't his best performance but um I think I think it, that might also be down to Golovkin as well making it hard for him but I think I think he was just fighting to the level he had to um, on Saturday, Canelo. I think he was just doing what he needed to because he yeah. he knew he just wanted to bury the hatchet and, and as you said, have a have a convincing, comprehensive win. But I think uh, that Saturday night, no, there's only going to be one winner there.
0: Well, he didn't overexert himself, um, and I think the, the, uh, one of the scorecards I think was pretty accurate. I think the one one six to one one twelve was marginally more more accurate and it it was a better reflection of the fight but the other two 115 to 113 i j- just thought was strange like ha- i don't understand how how you can score a fight so badly and, and we we speak about this all the time um and as a real boxing expert i wanted your view on it why why were the the scorecards so off
1: real boxing expert is that the label now that's,
0: that's your label <laughs> i
1: love it it's going in the bio um no um. Yes, mate. I think you're spot on. Um, one one five to one one three, but isn't that just the narrative of this whole trilogy? Bad scoring, isn't that what we we've seen in the last two fights? You know, I think, I think if it went the other way, we can't even. I mean, we can be mad because Golovkin was nowhere near winning that fight, but I mean, and to a lesser extent, that Canelo was in the first fight when he you know, with the draw. Um, but Canelo's been gifted with bad scoring. We can barely complain if Golovkin was to be in that fight as well. But I think he already was gifted with bad scoring because it was so generous to him. If I'm going to be generous, I'm giving him three rounds in that fight. Um, really? Really, I think competitive for the final four rounds, and I still think he lost two of them. So rounds,
0: no what, ra- rounds nine to, rounds nine, ten and eleven? Rounds yeah. nine, or just round rounds nine and ten. I I think I would have only given him two.
1: Yeah, um, from I I would have given him round nine, and then, oh, I mean, mate, it was quarter to five in the morning. I'm not <laughs> I'm not sure if it what was, it was ten ten or eleven, but one of the two. Um, I'm giving him two of those because that's you know he upped his started pulling the trigger a bit more. He was working nice with the left hand. He just wasn't putting them together like that. Was the thing, and, and Canelo came back. And you know, Golov- he's never going to get Golovkin out of there. Oh, he can Golovkin can come back in 20 years and go 12 rounds with Canelo. Canelo's still not knocking him out at age 60, I promise you that. But you know, as I was saying, he was doing what he needed to do to win, he was mixing it up nice to the body, to the head, um, using his jab more than I actually, I'm actually used to seeing him use it. But that's something you have to do as much as he should have as well. So I think th- those are. A couple of the deciding factors there that um, that made you know Canelo take control of that fight.
0: I think, like you said, I, th- I think that was exactly the fight Canelo needed. Just just the ego boost to get him back on track. He still beat a massive name, but he did it very comfortably. He did hurt his hand. Uh, we'll get onto that in a minute. But I think in terms of recovering from that loss to Dimitri bivlin May, uh, at, at the same arena as well, would have been a big psychological thing. And, and, and I, I think it's just exactly exactly the right timing, exactly what he needed, um, and at the right way, at his best as well. I, I, don't think, I think now Canelo only looks forwards. I think if, if there was any doubt over that Bivol fight, I, I think that's gone. I think he moves forwards now. And I, I, we meant, we mentioned him, Bivol. I, I think he'll be determined to go and put things right now because he is, he, is, he is pound for pound better than Bivol. I don't think there's any doubting that. I don't think there's any doubting who the better boxer is, or in my mind... I don't think there is anyway. So I think when his hand heals, he can go and beat Bivol, who is a bigger guy. But I still think he can go and beat him.
1: You you think you think would have him in the rematch?
0: Yeah, I think this is exactly what he needed. I think this is exactly what I think this is exactly the ego boost, exactly the the softening of the blow that he needed to go and to look. I know I know Bivol's bigger. I know it's a completely new, new challenge, and we'll talk about uh, Chris Eubank and Conor Ben. Uh, and, and and the difference in, in weight classes and, and people's views on that uh, in a bit, but I genuinely think psychologically this was massive for Canelo, absolutely huge.
1: All right, but physically, I can't I can't see him beating Bivol just for fight. But mate, that is as Troy Deeney says, the cojones to, to have
0: that. <laughs> Listen, weight, you heard it, you, it you heard that. it here I first. You heard it on the Middlemen podcast. Canelo goes and Canelo now has what he needs i think mentally i, I think emotionally to go and I've just drop my phone to go and um <laughs> to go and be the passion the passion that is coming through right now that the phone has dropped down the radiator somewhere like that's going to be a job later uh I, I genuinely think uh that he goes and and wins that rematch but that's that's a completely kind of different talking point um i, I think that the other sort of more relevant talking point to this fight before we move on to joe joyce versus joseph parker is his hand and he, and he did injure himself
1: yeah um i think i mean i don't think you can pinpoint one shot where it was um kind of like uh, the davis fight one of tanks last fight i think is isaac, isaac cruz wasn't it um that he hurt his hand in as well and I, I can't remember there being one specific punch where he would have done it. It might just be a a culmination, uh, like with with Canelo, because he he was having the output um, when he needed to. You know, he was he was putting the punches on Golovkin, and that just that just shows how how uh, how made of steel Golovkin is. Eh? Uh, that that Canelo is hurting himself with that, but it might have been a thing in in um, fight camp as well. I haven't heard. All I've heard is Canelo say that he needs surgery on it, right? So I don't know if or when it happened, if it's been a, a long-lasting one. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see where he goes from here. Obviously, he needs a timeout. He needs to recover. He needs that surgery. Um, but I think I think for his career's sake, I think the, the best bet is to, to, stay at, to stay at super middleweight. I don't know why he would give himself the problem of trying to rematch Bivol, but this is the thing, right?
0: It's pride, isn't it? It's pride. I'm giving
1: him... I'm talking about a safe... Exactly, I'm talking about a safe option for him right now, where he can go and beat super middleweights. But they But
0: but the greats, the greats don't do that. I, I think that's where he's he's conscious of. I think I think he's getting to that point now in his career where, where he's conscious of how he wants to be remembered. Uh, and I, I think I think that's why Joe Joyce is taking this fight with Parker because it's it's a bigger and better fight. And I think I think he's a bit fed up of fighting uh, these. No, I don't want to say lesser opponents but in a lot of ways they are and and perhaps that's that's the big thing with Canelo as well he, he wants that challenge and he he wants to go out at least at least having known that he, he tried to to fight the the bigger fighters maybe, maybe it's foolish as, as Chris Eubank senior uh, thinks about Chris Eubank junior going to fight Ben and, and cutting weight for that and again we'll get on to that but maybe maybe that's how he's thinking I don't know
1: yeah no What I was going to relate it to, um, actually, was one of the the fighters that you didn't mention there. Um, I think just like Joshua with his rematch, I think he's realized that he's got the biggest challenge, the hardest challenge. He's been given a puzzle that he can't figure out. So as an elite, you know, these boxing guys are wired differently. We need to remember this. They're not like... A a certain breed of them will not—they will take the hardest fights and the one that they're most likely going to lose just to prove a point to themselves. And you can only commend that. That's—that's the only thing you can, like, you know, how you can't criticize that, can you? People are gonna say, okay, he's he's ducking whoever at super middleweight. I think that's just absolute nonsense. I think he beats David Benavidez, beats Charlo. Anyone who wants him at one six eight, apart from the light heavyweights, he smokes. I I just think I see it on Twitter all the time. It drives me insane. But um, at, at light like heavyweight, I think Bivol was too much for him. But it'll be an interesting rematch. You know, he's he's found his form again, uh, and and he'll go on here, and we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I don't. I just didn't see enough from him in the first fight to tell me that you know he's he's going to do something different in this Bivol fight. He needed adjustments, and if he can adjust, then that's his that's his path to victory. Um, uh, you know, as, as we we're talking about pride, about maybe a bit of ego, maybe his ego midway through the fight might not let him adjust. So we'll see how it goes. But um, yeah, no, definitely, as you mentioned, Joyce and Parker there. Uh, I think I think that is exactly what uh, Joe Joyce needed. Uh, he's, he's been garnering names. Do you know what I mean? Daniel Dubois, yeah. um, C- Carlos Takam to a lesser extent, but put on a good performance in that fight.
0: Christian I Hamer. think he
1: is just taking the step-ups when they're coming. Yeah, exactly. And he, but he needs, he needs these top names thick and fast because the guys, the guys in his thirties, you know, is, these aren't no early thirties as well. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure he's like in his mid to late thirties. So he's, he's in a mandatory position right now and he needs to, he needs to hurry it up if he, if he wants a title shot in his career.
0: Well, that's it. And it's a perfect segue on onto this fight on Saturday night with Joe Joyson and- uh, Joseph Parker, who who lost to Anthony Joshua, by the way, didn't he, at, at the Principality in your stomping grounds, Max, in 2018? Um, and I, I, I love Joe Joyce. I'm a massive, massive Joe Joyce fan. Um, I, he's not like Parker, where he, he comes in with entourages of Tyson Fury and and a huge, huge team. You know Joe Joyce will, will come with a backpack and a pair of boxing gloves, and and that's all he'll bring. That's the kind of jo- guy Joyce is. He's got a degree in art or, or, or something along those lines and I also think he's got the strongest the, the toughest and the best chin in British boxing I think he's got a better chin than Tyson Fury which is another ish claim I suppose but he's such an intelligent boxer as well uh, both inside the ring and outside the ring and it baffles me how he's gone this far without having had any kind of world title fight but like you said whoever trumps in Manchester uh, will be the mandatory challenger to Alexander Usyk. And um, Joyce has a rematch clause. So there's that to think about as well. How, how do you think the fight's going to play out? Do you think Parker being trained by the best of our generation it, it is a factor? Do you, do you think him being there in Morecambe with Tyson Fury the last 18 months plays a part? How do you think this fight's going to go down? Because it's it's also not really a home fight because of the support uh, that Joseph Parker will have, having been in Manchester or, or, or around the area for so long. Yeah,
1: I think... Uh... I, i'm not sure if it if it is going to be as 50 50 as the name suggests on paper because especially with heavyweight fighting it's physical it's very physical and i don't want to sound like i'm undermining or hating on parker here i think he's an excellent boxer um but i just think that i don't know if the years have run away from him because i, I presume that he's actually younger than joyce but I just think when i when you're looking at form and momentum right now, I think everything's pointing to Joyce. The as you mentioned the camp, the, the training, the preparation um, from Parker with with Fury, that can only do him good, right? Like how how are you gonna not develop in you know with, with Sugar Hill Stewart and, and Tyson Fury in your corner? Of course you you're gonna just just get better at your game. But I think this is heavyweight boxing. It's big punch boxing. Parker's more of a, a cumulative boxer. And there have been, they've been good, you know, volume punches in heavyweight boxing. But I don't think that's that style is what's going to...
0: And, and he also knows how to win at the AO Arena in Manchester. He beat Huey Fury there. He's beat Derek Chisora there. He's beat some big names in that arena. So he's got that as well. Um, but I also think what he's got is a bit of a chip on his shoulder, to be honest. I think he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder about losing to Anthony Joshua back in 2018 and uh, losing to to Dillian White. I think that's that's in his mind as well. I think this for him is, how can I get back to where I was? How can I try and force a rematch with AJ if if he comes through the Tyson Fury fight? How can I try and get a a rematch with someone like Dillian White? I think that's a big part of um, Joseph Parker's mentality as well coming into this one. And I think if he beats Joe Joyce, from Joe Joyce's perspective, that's going to be incredibly hard to bounce back from. Similarly to AJ, if he loses to Fury, oh, I don't see any way back for Anthony Joshua. And I would worry for Joe Joyce on that same kind of train of thought. If he loses this fight, where does he go from here? He's old. He's like Fraser Clark. If Fraser Clark loses a big fight, how do you bounce back from that? Ben Shalom can talk and, and promote him as much as he wants. I don't think he could. So that, I think that's another thing. For, for Parker with the chip on his shoulder and for Joyce, there's that element of, I, I'm de- I desperately need to win this fight.
1: Yeah, I think um, for the pair of them, it's, it's must-wins. You know, it's, it's a long road back to any form of, of title contention um, for the loser here. So I think almost as much confidence as they can going into this one. They need everything they can to, uh, to make them, you know, leave as a victor. I think, I think Parker... He's always come across to me as a humble guy, you know. I've seen his like his his TikToks or his videos like through lockdown kept me going a bit. You know, he's he's quite the personality, but I know what you mean. It's it's easy to to develop uh to develop these kind of chips on shoulders, um, just in 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 the environment that you're in. But mate, I think like as I said, it's a long road back for P if Joyce loses, or even Parker. Like, the loser of that, and then say, you know, I'm very sceptical about this, but say Joshua and Fury do throw down on December 3rd, and the loser of that, I think, you know, the loser of both of those fights, whether it's Parker Fury or Parker Joshua or Joyce Fury, Joyce Joshua, there's still great matchups to be made, regardless of, just forget about titles for a sec, forget about, you know, their careers, um, where they should be going, rankings, all of that, just look possible to match up here. And, and I think you've got some great entertainment.
0: I think that's only all anyone wants to see. And quickly, I know we're running out of time. Um, and and yeah. we've we've touched on Eubank, uh, Conor Ben, uh, which is, it isn't it happening until the 8th of October. But the, the story this week, and I just wanted to get your opinion on this. And it's similar to the Wanieri story at Arsenal. And it's all about welfare of an athlete. Now, tri- Chris Eubank Jr. needs to come down three pounds, which would be the lowest weight of his career to fight Conor Ben uh, because he needs to get to 157 pounds, right? Chris Eubanks says he's already lost one son and he doesn't want the other son's life to be in danger because of of all this weight changing. Just very quickly, I wanted your view on it. What do you think?
1: I think Eubanks Sr. is well within his right to have that, to feel that way, to have that sentiment. You know, we can't just ignore how he's feeling about this. You know, this is a father who's lost a son and doesn't want to see his other one hurt again. That's, you know, I can't even imagine of being in that headspace. I would be so worried. I would... So he's well within his right to feel that way. What he's not within his right to do is try and cancel this card and try and stop this fight from happening. Um, because as as the Sauerland said, I think it was Carla said, you know, we have a contract with Eubank Jr. We don't have a contract with Senior. Like we can understand his concern. That's okay. You, you know, be concerned as as a parent, even, tr- even try and pull him out if that's what you want to do. But I would also respect your son's decision um, and, and respect the contract and respect the business side of boxing um, balance to have. But I think, you know, we really need to try and empathize with uh, Newbank senior here and notice that, you know, he's going to be very concerned for his boy, but listen, I think I don't know who is really getting the tail end of, you know, the short end of the stick. With the weight situation, it was always going to be a hard one to, to make because, you know, they've both of them have fought at 20 pounds apart at one stage in their career. You know, uh, Eubank Jr. fighting at, at super middleweight, uh, you know, that's 21 pounds heavier than well. Um, Eubank Jr. is doing all this art of deception stuff with his KFC buckets. And the um, birthday
0: cake.
1: We, yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll see what happens. They're both professionals at the end of the day. I think they'll both make weight. We'll just see on the night who's been affected more from it.
0: The face-off with uh, Adi Oladipo as well is fantastic. And you should go and watch that. And we again, speaking about people growing, we saw him back when we were working for GB at the Olympic qualifiers and how far he's come is just incredible. Uh, And very well. to watch his journey. Amazing. Really inspirational. And back to, I touched on one year at Arsenal and we've only got a couple of minutes left. But I just wanted to say, I think Arteta got it spot on with the 15-year-old playing the other night. I know there's been a lot, a lot of controversy surrounding it. I think if he's ready, then play him in any sport. If you're ready, there have been tennis champions that have played in one at 15. Look at Emma Radicano. I know she's a bit older. Jude Bellingham was 16 when he got his chance. If you're ready, then play. Uh, so we'll end it on that. Thank you very, very much for listening to the Middleman podcast. And, and thank you for having us back. It's brilliant to be back. And I've loved catching up with you, Max. So... All the best, everyone, and we'll be back with you very soon.
1: Yeah, back with you sooner than uh, than we than we have been. You know, no no monthly breaks from here on out. We're looking to see this year out with a a lot of consistency, and it's it's been um you know not a weight off my sh- shoulders, but whatever you want to call it, uh, to be back talking sport, my main man. So thank you uh, for listening in, for tuning in, guys. We we appreciate uh, your consumption of our content every time. So uh, yeah. We'll, we'll be back there'll be more of us uh, for you to listen to for the rest of this year so thank you very much